You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. Uh, the word concept fallacy, it assumes studying a single word or phrase corresponds, or here I mentioned phrase, but studying a single word corresponds to having studied the entire biblical concept. And let me, let me give you a quick example. If you, if you wanted to do a biblical study on the concept of, of hypocrisy in the Bible, right? So typically uh, most people, the begin at a concordance, which is fine, and they're finger, they'll finger down a concordance with all the references of hypocrisy, then they go to those biblical texts and and they examine the, the passage that talks about hypocrisy, and they kind of all kind of put it together into a, a single concept. Well, the problem with that is that you're going to, if, if you're just looking for the word hypocrisy, you're going to miss out on some really important passages uh, particularly narrative texts that in the Bible that that teach hypocrisy, but they never use the term hypocrisy. A uh, good example of this is Isaiah chapter one, five, uh, verses five through ten. It's the most graphic uh, teaching on hypocrisy in the entire Bible, and yet, yet uh, the term you'll never find the term hypocrisy in that text. So that's kind of a uh, an idea of this whole concept. Well, the we can say the same thing with phrase or the expression fallacy. And this is found a lot of times in biblical prophecy books uh, and, and teachings where <clears throat> someone will say, well, the day of the Lord is not mentioned in this passage. Therefore, this is not teaching about the day of the Lord. All right, red flag, red flag. <laughs> major, major exegetical linguistic fallacy there. Or, well, you know, the, uh, you know, the rapture is not mentioned here, or, or the second coming is not mentioned over here, and therefore this passage can't be talking about the, the second coming. You have to understand the New Testament writers had the freedom to use, they had literary freedom to, to use a lot of rich language. They weren't tied down to one single expression to describe some concept. Again, that would be, I mean, we would never uh, uh, do that. So why do we require New Testament writers that, okay, if you're going to talk about this topic, you have to use this term. This fallacy is, I think, I would put in the top three fallacies there, the word, phrase, concept. Uh, You even find it within uh, very seasoned uh, commentators as well. Given that fallacy and sometimes that mindset of exp- of approaching Scripture, people make the assumption that the day of the Lord is not the same thing as the second coming because, well, there are two different phrases. No, that that's a bad, really, really bad way of reasoning. Again, the Apostle Paul and the other writers, they can use the term day of the Lord and the term second coming interchangeably. In fact, they're, they're co-referential. They describe the same reference, okay? Um, and the, the same event is uh, the return of Jesus. It's the return of the Christ. That's the, the day of the Lord and the second coming for, to the, 
the uh, return of Christ. In fact, in my book, uh, Antichrist Before the Day of the Lord, What Every Christian Needs to Know About the Return of Christ, on page 111, I I showed that the, even the term the day of the Lord, uh, there's there's at least 20 different terms that dis- in the Bible that describe the day of the Lord. Let me uh, just read a few of those. Um <clears throat> The day of the Lord's sacrifice, the day of the Lord's wrath, in those days, the day, the great day, that day, judgment day, the day of burning anger, the day of vengeance, the day of coming for the Lord, unique day, harvest, coming of the Son of Man, days of the Son of Man, the day of wrath, day of Christ, day of, the last day, the day, day of judgment, the day of God, the, the, the great day of God. I mean, you know, I, I don't, again, it, it, the, uh, there's many authors in the Bible, and they have this rich vocabulary to describe this awesome eschatological event. And so you have to not come to the Bible, approach biblical interpretation in some wooden manner, and you have to use just this one single term to describe this. It's called the, 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 the one word or one phrase equals one concept fallacy. That can uh, Sometimes it's called the theological word concept fallacy. There's different um, terms for this fallacy. So, But it's very common, very common. I see... In fact, I see post-tribulationists commit this all the time. Pre-tribulationists definitely commit this. Uh, and I've, I've talked about this uh, so many times on, on my website, alankirshner.com. You can do a search for word concept fallacy and it'll, you know, shoot you those uh, articles. But So you have to be very careful and, 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 and look at you – know, our theology is not based on words. It's, it's based on concepts. Right, and we get concepts through, through propositions, clauses, and the larger discourse unit, not just uh, not the words themselves. Okay, uh, very basic, fundamental, biblical interpretation principle. Uh, <clears throat> so the expressions "the day of the Lord" and "the second coming" they refer to the same event, and the. Um, and, and again, I, I mentioned that they're, they're co-referential uh, with each other. So they're, these are not, they're not describing two separate events, but one and the same event. Now, to be sure, again, context, can, uh, context has to determine. Sometimes it describes you know, the beginning of the event, or maybe it describes the event as a whole, or sometimes it talks about maybe its culmination. So you have to, again, it's not always referring to maybe one aspect of the event. Again, context has to determine uh, what the author wants to highlight or emphasize on these terms, okay? Uh, <clears throat> but they, uh, I'm going to give you some examples here, but I again, I want to mention that the nuance depends on the context. So now in generally, or maybe not in generally, uh, in a very commonly, the day of the Lord, the expression "the day of the Lord," uh, is takes on more of a negative judgment aspect of the Lord's return, and and it, but there's exceptions depending on the context and the the second coming or the Greek term, the Greek word behind that is parousia, right? Uh, the Latin we all were familiar with the second advent, right? Well, the 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 Greek term is uh, parousia. Behind the term second coming, and parousia means a a presence, uh, and typically an arrival, 
with an arrival and a, and a subsequent presence. This term, the second coming, this phrase that is, it, it generally connotes a more of a positive, redemptive aspect of our Lord's return. Now, I'm going to give some, um, you know, examples showing that the biblical writers could use these two expressions interchangeably, right? Uh, and again, demonstrating that they're co-referential. Uh, Peter and Paul. Peter and Paul actually use, both of them uh, use this term co-referential. Let me begin with Peter. So in 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, Peter uses the, the expression day of the Lord and the parousia. Now, right, let me qualify something. Nowhere in the Bible, the New in the New Testament, you're going to ever find the term second coming, all right, the, the modifier second. Second coming, obviously, we get that from the different context that obviously talk about the future second coming. That's why we have the term second coming. Uh, but here, Peter uses the day of the Lord and coming, parousia, interchangeably. So, in Second Peter 3, chapter 10, it reads, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So, he's using the term day of the Lord. Come like a thief. When it comes, the heavens will disappear with a horrific noise, and the celestial bodies will melt away in a blaze, and the earth and every deed done on it will be laid bare. Since all these are to melt away in this manner, what sort of people must we be conducting our lives in holiness and godliness while waiting for the hastening, the coming, i.e. parousia, of the day of the Lord? You notice there that Peter used these term, terms interchangeably and does not distinguish them. And then he finishes up. He says, because of this day, the heavens will be burned up and dissolve and the celestial bodies will melt away in a blaze. <clears throat> so Peter uses this term interchangeably. Uh, Paul, Paul uh, talks about the having been strengthened to the end. This is in the context of being strengthened to the end and being blameless at the return of Jesus. So in first Corinthians chapter one, verse eight, Paul says, he will also strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in another passage, uh, Paul uses um, the exact same uh, expression or, or the, 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 same, the, the same teaching, except here it uses parousia. So, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13 says that... <clears throat> So that your hearts are strengthened in holiness to be blameless before our God and Father at the coming parousia of the Lord Jesus with all his saints. So in both of these texts, he's saying that, that may God uh, strengthen you to the end so that you are blameless. The exact same language, except in one passage you know, Paul uses the term the day of the Lord or the day of Lord Je uh, Jesus Christ. And in the other, it's the coming, the par parousia. So, for, again, Paul can have that freedom to, they're, they're, it's interchangeable. Um, well, let me, um, we're going to finish up here with uh, 
I just want to mention a, a few other contexts in which both of these these terms are used. Uh, let me bring up my uh, the text that I brought up here. Okay, here we go. So the first one uh, is um, the first one. Or the, or the actually the third one. So the first one, remember, the first one is Peter's using these interchangeably, and then the second we saw that Paul uses it in the context of being strengthened and blameless. Uh, well, <clears throat> the uh, Paul also uses these terms interchangeably when he refers to that salvation for God's people will happen at the day of the Lord or the parousia. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 5, chapter 5 verse 5, he says, you are to you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Well, in the same book that he writes, uh, a few chapters later, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 23, he says the same thing, except he just uses the term parousia. He says, but each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, parousia, those who belong to Christ. Of course, he's talking about salvation there. So there's deliverance. Basically, the, the concept here is deliverance in both of these texts, and yet Paul can talk about that that's going to happen uh, at the, the day of the Lord slash coming, parousia. And then there's Another concept that Paul applies these co-referential terms, and that is the um, Paul talks about the boasting in labor, uh, being boasting in labor that will occur at the day of the Lord Parousia. So, in Philippians chapter two, uh, verse sixteen, chapter two, verse sixteen, he says, "Holding fast to the word of life." So that in the day of Christ, now he doesn't use the term the day of the Lord there, uh, but the day of the Lord, day of, that's another issue too, because some people distinguish the two. And again, you can't, uh, the day of the Lord and the day of the Christ, it's the same event. Again, co-referential. It's not, there's no, there's no dis- significant um or not even significant. There's no difference here between saying the day of Christ or the day of the Lord. I mean, the day of the Lord, the Lord is Christ. I've come across some articles where they make this whole big difference. Oh, the day of the Lord's a rapture, but the day of the Lord, that's a jo- no, no, no. <laughs> Again, the context here. In fact, we'll, we're going to see here that Paul um, refers to the coming as co-referential. So he says, again, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 16, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Now, same teaching, except using the, the term uh, the, the parousia, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. He says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? Uh, the coming there, the Greek term behind that again is parousia. So both of these texts, they're they're talking about the the boasting, boasting before the Lord. Uh, <clears throat> well, of course, boasting in one sense in the Lord, right? In that, here Paul can 
interchangeably refer uh, use the terms the day of the Lord and or the day of Christ and the the coming. Okay, one more, and that will be um, <clears throat> is the something that we we are all familiar with. We have talked about this many times. Uh, and that is the Texas Second Thessalonians chapter two verse one. Here, Paul, Paul, right in the right in the same text, uses these terms interchangeably. He says, "Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's the parousia." Okay, now concerning. Okay, that's the that's the issue. That's the topic at hand. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him. We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to come from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. And then he goes on, he talks about that the Antichrist, the Antichrist revelation and the apostasy has to happen before the return of Jesus. So, it's not um, – all of these texts show that, again, the New Testament writers had the freedom. They used these eschatological descriptions of the future return of Jesus. There's many, re- many terms for the return of Jesus. The, the coming, the parousia, there's one single comprehensive whole complex of a future second coming of Christ. And I like to make the analogy, I'll just close with this analogy, and that is that, you know, when we think of the first coming of Christ, it wasn't some instantaneous momentary event, right? When we don't equate the the first coming of Christ with the birth of Jesus. I mean, the uh, the first coming of Christ was much more than just the birth of Christ. It was his, it was his upbringing, it was his ministry, his death, burial, resurrection, the ascension, all that together was a complex whole. Well, the same thing for the future second coming of Christ is going to be God is going to fulfill certain divine events in his son at his second coming. Uh, it's going to begin with Christ arriving on the clouds, delivering his people via rapture, resurrection, and then the subsequent day of the Lord's wrath upon the wicked in this world. And of course, the um, there, there's other aspects of, of the second coming, and that is Jesus... Uh, you know, setting up his, uh, the physical millennial kingdom and, you know, uh, Israel as a nation uh, being vindicated and redeemed, that remnant of Israel that Paul, Paul talks about in uh, chapter, uh, Romans chapter 11. 